We're going to um, study God's Word just for a little bit. I know the time is somewhat late. We'll continue to pray up here. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 17. There are so many things, as we've talked about even this morning, that stand as obstacles in our lives, and some of them seem insurmountable. Some of them seem impossible to overcome. And not only do they seem impossible to overcome, but it seems how could we have any victory in them? Circumstances are too difficult. Kids, I'm sorry. Yes, you're released. Circumstances become too difficult. The spiritual opposition seems way too strong, and we don't have any answers. And when we pray, it doesn't seem like the Lord's um, direction is abundantly clear at the moment, and, and we struggle with that. And that is a formula that can cause us to really lose heart. It is a formula that can cause us to say, well, maybe God's not at work, or maybe we need to kind of give up, or maybe that, that we don't, uh, since we don't know what's going to happen, that we'll just, we'll just collapse. But as believers, God gives us some very important principles. He says, first of all, that without faith, it's impossible to please me. If you don't have faith, not, we're not just talking about saving faith at this point, we're talking about everyday faith. If we're not trusting the Lord completely for everything and in everything, then we can't please Him. Second, he says that we are the just and we shall live by faith. Not, not sometimes, we're supposed to live by faith all the time. And then third, he says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Now that's a hard one. That's been a hard one for me this week. Again, I've known that verse, Hebrews 11.1, 1, for, for many, many dozens of years. Faith is the substance, the evidence of things hoped for, the assurance and, and con, uh, conclusive tangibility of things that are not seen. Well, we don't see right now. We, we see uh, through imperfect eyes. First Corinthians says we see through a glass darkly. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. But every single day, we have to trust the Lord and say, Lord, you are in control. You're the only one that can work. You're the only one that can be faithful. And this is not blind faith. This is not, well, I'll just kind of hope and, 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 and just kind of... Uh, just have some kind of confidence that, that God's going to work, something's going to happen, and, and, I, and I wish that it'll be true, and I'll kind of just, just wait and see. No, that's not what it is. This is complete confidence in the faithfulness of God. It's complete reliance on His power and His sufficiency that just as Christ has delivered us from darkness into light, that God will continue to work and continue to move in our lives. And when we have that kind of faith, and every Christian should, Everyone who has been redeemed by Christ and who has been transformed in their spirit and has been filled by God's spirit, every believer should have that kind of faith. It's powerful. It believes that nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with the Lord. Even what's beyond our understanding and our comprehension. And Jesus talks about that kind of faith here in this passage. Matthew chapter 17. Thank you for turning there. I was thinking about this passage this week, and I, I thought back to a time, oh, it's been 36 years ago. One of the most profound spiritual conversations I had during my teenage years was discussing this passage, and I never could have imagined at the time I had this discussion how much the Lord was going to teach it to me over and over and over again. 
I was playing high school basketball for a little school in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we took a basketball trip up to Asheville, which is up in the mountains, beautiful area. I think I was a sophomore at the time, and we were in some hole-in-the-wall motel along a four-lane divided highway, one of those hotels that, that's one story and has the outdoor entrances, you know, like we used to have in the 70s and 80s, just, just the dive, you know, with, with the nasty furniture, all that kind of stuff. But to us, it was great because we didn't have to be in school. And I was hanging around with the juniors and seniors, which was really cool for me. I, I felt very privileged to do that. And we were up very late at night um, and, and sitting outside. No adult supervision, of course. It was a very different time back then. Hard to remember. And we didn't have anything to do. We're in this ratty motel, and there's really nothing to do. There's no pool. There's no arcade. There's nothing. So we pulled out the, the um, lawn chairs or whatever they had sitting outside the rooms, and we sat outside kind of in the parking lot and watched the trucks go by. This is, this is partying back in 79, right? And as we sat there talking, it was probably 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, and we got into a discussion somehow about this passage, because on the other side of the highway, there was a mountain, and I don't know how I tried to think about this last night, how in the world we saw that, whether it was the light of the parking lot or, or whatever the case would be. Maybe it was so late at night that it was starting to break into dawn. I don't know. But we saw this mountain over across the highway. And, and as we were sitting there talking and thinking about pranks we can play on our teammates, we thought about grabbing somebody and taking their whole bed and putting them in the middle of the divided highway. But we figured that might be a little dangerous. Somebody in the dark said something to the effect of, do you think Jesus literally meant it when he said that you could have faith that would say to a mountain, be moved, and the mountain would actually move? I'll never forget it. If I knew where the hotel was, I could tell you exactly where I was sitting, exactly where I was looking 36 years ago. And for the next hour, hour and a half, we had a deeply spiritual, deeply philosophical conversation about that question. And I became very intrigued by the nature of faith. Very intrigued by the potential of faith and the power of faith and how it unleashes the power of God. It was real heady stuff for a 15-year-old, but I have never forgotten it because maybe for the first time in my life, and I grew up in the church, my dad's a pastor, I had a great upbringing, but maybe for the first time in my life, 1979, I understood that the Lord has resources and blessings that are so far beyond our understanding that He wants to pour out on our lives. That He is looking for His people to trust Him and rely on Him completely. And even when our faith seems small, even when our faith seems puny, that He will use it and it will germinate and it will bear fruit to the extent of His power and His faithfulness. Now, Jesus teaches that in this passage, Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 20. And the teaching starts with the disciples not having that kind of faith and realizing that what could have happened didn't happen because something was missing in them. Peter, James, and John have just been on the mountain earlier in the passage. They've been on a mountain with Jesus. And while they're there, Jesus transfigured, which means that his glory was revealed and the, the sense of his deity was physically displayed to Peter, James, and John. And then as they're standing there watching this, Moses and Elijah come down, and Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are having a conversation. It must have been an unbelievable experience. 
So they've been up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John with Jesus. They come down from the mountain, and as soon as they get down to the bottom of the mountain, a man came running up to Jesus, and, and he has a problem. And unfortunately, his problem is an indictment of the disciples at that point in their lives and ministry. So let's read about it. Matthew chapter 17, start in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, verse 16, and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? He said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now this man wasn't familiar to Jesus, but he was familiar to the disciples. Because at some point when Jesus wasn't around, or when he was so overwhelmed by the crowd that the man couldn't get to him, he had come to the disciples and said, my son is demon-possessed, my son is crazy because of this demon, he's harming himself, I need your help. And the disciples couldn't do anything. He came with the full expectation that because of their identification with Christ, because they were disciples of Christ, that there would be some measure of Jesus' power in His disciples that would allow them to do this work. Now, we might think that when that happened, when He comes up and says, your disciples couldn't do this, that Jesus would use this as an opportunity to teach them, that He'd maybe show some minor disappointment. Guys, come on, you, you know better than this. You should, have, you should have been able to do this. But, you know, you're still a work in progress. And I know that it'll take time to develop spiritual maturity in you, especially in relationship to faith. You know, sometimes we talk to ourselves like that. When we're not walking in maturity, or when we aren't trusting the Lord completely, or we're not obeying Him wholeheartedly, here's what we tend to do. We tend to rationalize that we're still growing, it still takes time, we're still in process, we love that word, and just like the disciples might have rationalized when this man comes up, kind of embarrasses them, we might say, well, I know, yes, I should have that power, but, but I don't yet because I'm still growing. But what's fascinating and what's disarming is when you look at Jesus' words in verse 17, that's not how he responds. In fact, the, the strength of his rebuke is is. I would say shocking. He goes to the disciples and to the crowd really as a whole and he says, my expectation for you is so much greater than, than your rationalized uh, justification of your inability. In other words, it's not enough to say, well, you're just in process and I'm still kind of growing and Lord, we couldn't do it because we didn't really know what to do and we don't have that kind of power. In fact, what Jesus says here is so different because what he's saying is, I expect you, whatever stage you are in, whatever process you are in, I expect you at all times to be mature in your faith. In case we don't think the Lord takes 
faith seriously and requires us to trust in him. Just look back at verse 17 and look at the adjectives that he uses here. He says, you are unbelieving and perverted. And how long will I have to put up with you not believing and being so wrong-headed? In other words, this is not a small issue. This is not something that we can just glide over and take lightly and think that we can have kind of small, minuscule faith and still be pleasing the Lord. Remember, without faith, we cannot please God. We walk by faith. We walk not by sight. And he rebukes faith that is insufficient. So when we're in a situation, when we're in a trial... When we're, when we're in what we're facing right now, or we don't know in maybe a month where we're going to be meeting on Sunday morning, and, and that's disarming and, and disconcerting. When we're in that time, when we're in a struggle, when our marriage is struggling, when our kids are away from the Lord, when our job seems uncertain, when there's a health crisis, it is not a time to be timid in our faith. It is not a time to be focused on the problem and live in fear and anxiety and become bitter and critical in our spirit. It is a time, listen now, it is a time to advance. It's a time to seek the Lord in a new way. It's time to have a fresh faith that is unwavering and is excited about what the Lord's going to do. And it's time to have a joyful expectation that God, as He always is, He's going to show Himself faith. Because let me tell you, the enemy is going to want to rob us of our faith at this time. He'll lie and he'll accuse and he'll breathe doubt in our heart and mind and he'll remind us of our circumstances and he'll try to, to build fear and, 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 and anxiety and worry instead of faith. And Jesus says, this is not my words, and this is a hard word to say. Look back at the verse. He says, this is a perverted way of thinking. Whatever the issue is for you this morning, whatever is going on in your life, maybe it's a small thing in the grand scheme of life. There's some bills you can't pay and, and you don't know where that's going to come from. Or maybe it's a huge thing. You're about to lose your job or your marriage is just on the point of disaster or you have a child that just... Is, is, is defaming God. Or maybe it's a situation like ours as a church where we're uncertain. Listen, the enemy is going to try to rob us of our faith. Why does he do that? And let me tell you, it's because he's scared of our faith. I don't often say the enemy is scared of things because the enemy is powerful, but the enemy is scared of our faith. Why? Because he knows it's a sign of spiritual maturity and he knows that it pleases the Lord, and he knows that when we call on the Lord, the Lord responds in powerful ways. Why else would he try to strip us of our faith? Why else would he try to undermine us? Why else when we have victories is the next thing that we get under spiritual attack? Why is it that he doesn't want us to pray? Why is it that he doesn't want us to seek the Lord? Because he knows when we put our confidence in the Lord, God works. And that kind of faith punishes hell. It punishes hell. It defeats hell again and again. Because when the Lord sees that kind of faith in His children, He goes to work and hell has no chance. Now we can 
somewhat conclude that the disciples didn't understand this fully because when you look back at the text, they, they don't, I think, get that they're part of who Jesus is talking about, verse 17, because they kind of come back and say, well, well, what happened? Why couldn't we do it? We get that you're talking about everybody else, but, but what happened with us? And it's interesting because Jesus gives a seven-word answer here that I'm sure he said to me way too many times. He says, it's because of the littleness of your faith. I don't know about you, but I never want Jesus to have to say that about me again. I don't want Jesus to ever look at me and go, Paul, you have little faith. Your faith's not even as big as a mustard seed. Harbor Rock, you have little faith. You, you, don't, you don't trust me even as big as a mustard seed. And he uses the mustard seed because it's one of the smallest seeds. It's one to two millimeters wide one sixty-fourth of an inch across. And yet the mustard seed has three significant properties. Maybe write these down just so you remember them. The mustard seed has three significant properties. One, it's powerful and fruitful. A little one millimeter seed can grow a tree 20 feet tall and 20 feet wide. One sixty-fourth of an inch can become 20 feet tall and 20 feet wide. So it's powerful and fruitful. Second of all, a mustard seed is resilient. It can handle the driest weather. It can grow in the worst soil, which is a picture of our trials and our difficulties when we need to trust the Lord more. If we have a faith like a mustard seed, God will use it and keep us resilient. The third thing about a mustard seed is it keeps growing. Even when the mustard tree is pruned, after it's pruned, it actually grows up stronger than it was before. What a picture of how our faith is supposed to be. But here's what really struck me about all of it this week, especially in the face of the news that we got and, and seeking the Lord so fervently in my own life, asking Him for answers and asking for Him for His leading. Here's the thought that really struck me. If the Lord gives this picture of potential of how to work if our faith is like a mustard seed, one sixty-fourth of an inch across, then what must he do when our faith is strong? What must he do when our faith is the side of a watermelon seed or our faith is the size of an acorn or whatever application you want to use here? When it's not one sixty-fourth of an inch across, when it's big and strong, the possibilities are endless and mind-boggling. I want you to see the example that he gives here in verse 20 because this verse to me is so encouraging but it's also been a source of a lot of debate and disagreement. The question is the same that I asked that night in Asheville back in 1979. Does Jesus literally mean that our faith could be strong enough to move a mountain? Is there that much power at our disposal, given by the mercy and grace of God, access through the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Christ. Now, if you read scholars, if you read commentaries, if you read people that know far more than me, almost all of them see it as a metaphor. There's this demon-possessed man, the disciples couldn't get the, the demon out, and Jesus is saying that, that this is a mountain, that there's a, there's a personal mountain, there's a situational mountain that, that is too big, that deep faith is what 
stirs the Lord to pour out a sufficiency and power on even the most difficult situations. So almost any commentator you read say, this is figurative, it, it's a metaphor, it's about the mountains in our lives that, that can be overcome by faith. The prevailing interpretation is this is not to be taken literally. But here's a question I kept asking that night by the highway and that I continue to ask 36 years later. What if Jesus is being literal? What if Jesus is being literal? I mean, we've been taught to read the Bible literally unless we're clearly told not to, unless it's a parable or something like that. So, so why not read his words literally here? Now stay with me, I'm not crazy, I promise. What if he actually meant moving an actual mountain? Would that be too impossible for the Lord? Is it possible to have faith in God's power and God's authority on that level to see the power of God work to that kind of miraculous extent? I believe, listen, I believe it applies as much to moving a huge mound of dirt as it is to parting the Red Sea, as it is to casting out a demon, as it is to raising Lazarus from the dead. And even more amazing than those miracles is the profound fact that my soul and your soul has been delivered from the bondage of sin and death and taken from darkness to light. That's a far greater miracle than somebody being healed of leprosy. Now, God clearly has that kind of power. And the question is, do we understand the power and authority of the Lord? The reason I think we struggle with faith and with deep trust is either because we don't know Him or because we trust ourselves above Him. Now, here's where I'm not crazy. I'm not saying go around today and start saying, hey, mountain, you move. Hey, mountain, you move. Hey, trash mountain, you move. Move out farther out in the county. We don't like you here by the mall anymore. I'm not saying that. But isn't His power that great exponentially? He's talking about casting out a demon. How much smaller is my problem today than that? And yet he is sufficient for both. So knowing that, do we trust him for far less difficult situations? Because he is saying even faith like a mustard seed when it is true and sincere and unwavering in our Savior and Lord can see that nothing is impossible with God. The Bible says in James that Elijah was a man just like us. That's not hyperbole. It's a true statement. Elijah was a man just like us. And yet he stood on Mount Carmel and he called down fire from heaven. And fire came down and consumed the sacrifice and licked up the water. Peter and John, we've studied them. They were just ordinary fishermen from Galilee. Nothing special. Nothing that you would say, well, they had training or they had preparation, or they were, they were undeniably faithful when, when they were walking with Jesus, because they're debating who's greater, and Peter denies them and curses. And yet it says in Acts 4 that they were so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that all they had to do was walk by people, and their shadow would heal them. Now, think about that. That's, that's not just, well, that's a cool concept. Noah by faith, build an ark. It had never rained. 
For 120 years, he built, 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 built. People scorned him, ridiculed him. Friends died. People moved on. Noah kept building, kept building, kept building because he trusted God. And God did a miracle and saved humanity and his family through him. Abraham had faith that he could go up on a mountain with his young son and bind him and lay him down and raise up his knife knowing, true, God will recover him because this is the son of the promise. And he stood there with the knife poised and said, God said, I'll provide. Now you say, well, those are Bible stories and those are, those are things, come on, God worked differently back then. Show me that in the Bible. Elijah was a man just like me. Come on, there's no way. That's what the Bible says. He called them fire from heaven. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, look at it. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Why? Because nothing's impossible with God. Now, I don't know if that's literal. I can't prove it. But what I know is that God wants me and you to have that kind of faith. And to accomplish that, here's the conclusion, to accomplish that, there are actually times when He will dim our sight or remove our sight so we have to walk by faith. Everything in our flesh fights this because we are so conditioned by tangibility. We crave to know we crave to see, we crave to be in the middle of it, and we crave to be in control. But listen, that is not faith. It has nothing to do with God's definition of believing and everything to do with what's comfortable for us. That's why James 1 says, don't despise the trying of your faith, but actually count it all joy Oh, how hard is that? Count it all joy when you go through trials. In other words, let's just take this issue with the building, this issue with our future. It should actually not discourage us, and I'll confess I've been discouraged. It should actually not make us nervous, and I will confess to you, it has made me nervous. But it shouldn't do that, and the Lord's convicted me over the last couple days. Paul, don't be nervous, don't be scared, don't fall in your trust. Instead, I want you to be excited and to praise me because I'm going to do something. Now that takes a different kind of perspective and a different kind of faith. But he says, if you call on me, I'll answer. And if you depend on me, I'll provide. Or transfer that to whatever situation you're in right now. Whatever stretching your faith whatever you come in burdened about this morning, whatever you can't control, whatever you have no choice but either to fully depend on the Lord and trust His love and care and provision or to reject it and to try to do it yourself. But he says if you want to be like Christ, if you want to be perfect and complete, that's the terms James uses, if you want to be perfect and complete, then you need to value the opportunities, even though they're difficult, to have your faith stretched where you can call on the name of the Lord more. And if we're blind and God removes some of the sight because we walk by faith and not by sight, and we're struggling to know where the Lord is and how He's going to help us, then we need to be like blind Bartimaeus and say, God, have mercy on us. 
Have mercy on me. And you know what God does when we cry that? He removes the scales and He gives us spiritual eyes. He gives us the eyes of faith where we can see His hand of blessing and we can see His hand of leading and He can bless us and use us because our faith, even if it's a mustard seed, can grow and have fruit. Jesus said before He left the disciples in John 14, He says, when I leave, you're going to do greater works than me. He wasn't talking about miracles and and because obviously nobody's ever done greater miracles than Jesus does. He was referring to the fact that we can take the gospel, which wasn't completed until he rose again and defeated sin and death, that we now can take the gospel and we can go out by faith and talk about faith in Christ. And by being living examples of faith and trophies of faith, and ambassadors of faith that we can influence people to trust in Christ so their life moves from death to life. And listen, let's not get caught up on the mountain. Seeing somebody go from death to life is far greater than saying to a mountain, go from here to there. That's nothing. Moving a mountain, whether it's figurative or literal, that's nothing compared to seeing somebody's life rescued in the bondage of sin and being moved to eternal life. And that's what God's called us to do. God's called us to be His witnesses and His ambassadors and His servant. Listen, with what's going on in the world right now and the fact that Christians were not persecuted overseas this week, they were persecuted on American soil. With what's going on in the world and the evidence that is unmistakable that these are the last days and with what's going on with the challenge that we're now facing as a church and with what's going on in your personal life and the stuff you're dealing with, this is not a time for little faith. It is a time for faith that pleases the Lord and stirs Him to work. May God help us to have that kind of faith. 